Welcome to the Stronger Than Autoimmune podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Worland. As an autoimmune warrior myself, I understand that day-to-day, even moment-to-moment, living with autoimmunity isn't easy. You're not alone. This podcast is to give hope to living with an autoimmune disease. I will interview individuals living with autoimmune disease along with experts and businesses to help provide knowledge and hope. Before I introduce my next guest, here is an ad that made this podcast possible. Warriors, this is a whoopee warning. Yes, I said whoopee warning. This is episode number 31 and it contains sexual content intended for mature audiences only. So all youngsters, make sure you are out of the room and all ears are appropriate age. I'll give you a moment. And if you're ready, let's dive into making whoopee and chronic illness. Hello, Warriors. My guest today is Elle. She is a chronic illness warrior, sex coach, and educator. For the last three years, she has taught and presented and written for organizations such as Mental Health America and the Endometriosis Foundation of America. She is currently completing her master's in social work with a focus on relationships and sexuality. I brought her on the show to discuss sex with chronic illness. So let's get started. Hi, Elle. Thank you so much for joining me on the Stronger Than Autoimmune podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. Please let us know where you're connecting from. Yeah, so I'm connecting from Oregon today, just a little bit outside of Portland. Um, it is very windy, but it's just that fall weather, so I'm I'm enjoying it before we get the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually up there get the full round of seasons. I'm in Texas. It, sometimes it goes from 100 to 80 to all of a sudden it's 40 degrees here. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, no sort of uh, taper into that winter weather. Exactly. Exactly. And then we don't get too much snow here. Sometimes if we're lucky, we may have some. But thank you again. And I am wondering, please share about your chronic illness condition, because that's how you became a sex coach, correct? So if you want to just start from the beginning. Okay. I can start from the beginning. It's, um, it's kind of a tricky story. I feel like it's the story that a lot of people in the community probably have. So, um, it might sound pretty familiar, but, um, I, I have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Um, that is sort of a work in progress because there's some other symptoms and other things going on that, the doctors are still trying to figure out. So kind of got fingers crossed that next year is going to be the year that a lot of things get figured out, but it will be about year 10 in the diagnosis journey for me. Wow. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a long time. It's been a lot of um, sort of <laughs> hypotheses about what's going on and um, things that I was, I felt pretty confident were right. And then to find out that they aren't, they aren't right. So it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um but like I said, you know, I think that's pretty familiar for a lot of us. So exactly. Um, yeah. A lot of uh, frustrating doctor's appointments, a lot of hope and then let down and gaslighting. It, it's, it's a roller coaster ride for sure. 
it's a roller coaster ride. It's a lot of tests. It's a lot of, yeah, like you said, a lot of doctor's appointments. I, I feel like I, um, I should have like more doctor friends at this point. Cause I spend all <laughs> them, you know what I mean? And you're giving them money. <laughs> yeah, Come on guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're still going through that process and hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll hope, uh, 2023 is a better year for you and any, um, treatments that you've, you've gone through that have helped, or you're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Again, probably very familiar to a lot of people. I, I've definitely tried everything. <laughs> I started with, um, I thought maybe, oh, it's like, it's stomach problems. I'll go vegan and then I'll go gluten-free and then maybe it's celiac. And so it, lots of testing, um, you know, the blood tests, all of those. Um, I think the, the biggest surgery that I've had has got to be, I, a couple of years ago, I had, um, ovarian torsion that was mm -hmm. diagnosed, um, so I ended up, I had gone to urgent care and then, and then, you know, got that, that wrong diagnosis ended up in the emergency room the next day. And at that point, um, it had been too long and they, they just couldn't save my ovary. So I did, um, end up losing my right ovary. It was incredibly hard for me, you know, emotionally, painfully. And I think that experience, you know, after that, I was like, well, we've got to have answers now, right? We got to know what's going on. And to still not be able to really point to something definitively was really hard. Um, for me, that I think was the turning point in in the, the sort of hoping process of um, it's just this test or it's just this one more doctor. It's just, it's kind of like, okay, this is the new normal and I might not know and I have to be okay with that. And wow, is that hard? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that sounds incredibly painful. I, I know I have endometriosis myself and I've never had that torsion and I, I've had um, experience um, ovarian cysts and eruptions, but that is on, on a different level for sure. So it sounds like you've taken all this journey and all this experience and now you've been sex coach for chronic illness sufferers. Yes. For three years, correct? Yeah. Well, so I call myself like a hybrid sex coach, sex, sex educator, because it's sort of like <laughs> I'm trying to do work that I haven't really seen a name for. Um, I will say a lot of what I'm doing now was inspired by the work that I've done too. So I've had this amazing um, privilege to work with different chronic illness communities over the last, I don't know, five, five-ish years. Um, so at one point it was, I was working with the hemophilia community at one point, you know, the endometriosis community, MS community, it's like tons of amazing people um, and people who have been so generous to share their stories with me. So I think my own experience plus all of those experiences really showed me that um, there's, I mean, so much strength in this community. There's just so many incredible people. Um, and also there's not a ton of resources when it comes to navigating sex and chronic illness. Like it's not really something that you talk to your doctor for because it's not always like a medical problem. And it's not really something that a lot of people talk to like friends about because it's kind of uncomfortable. And so where do you go when you have, you know, sort of specific questions about like, ah, how do my arthritis is impacting me? What do I do? Um, so I just thought, you know, these are my passions. These are, these are the topics that I'm really interested in. And I wish that I'd had someone like this at the beginning of my journey. So why not become that person? 
Yeah, thank you. And thank you. Yeah, because it is like a, I wouldn't say taboo, but I guess I, that's the only word I could think of right now. It, it's taboo to talk about. I mean, everything else is welcome to talk about in the chronic illness community. Yes. But that is a subject that it, it really does affect all of us. Yeah. You know, that's funny that you say taboo. That's the word that I feel like comes up most often for people when they hear about what I do. Um, and it's usually like, oh, it's exciting that, that you're talking about this, but it is kind of this like taboo thing. I think some of that maybe, this is my own speculation. Some of it maybe comes from like, we all have so many other things that we're doing with our chronic illnesses that sometimes sex maybe feels like, oh, that's, you know, we'll figure that out later. We'll get to that. But right now we're just trying to, you know, get get these symptoms under control and things like that. So um, I know that it does eventually become something that we can think about, but maybe it's, it's sort of on the horizon for a lot of folks. At right. least. Yeah, no, no, that's a great way of putting it. It's, it's like more of a, a privilege if that happens. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I know you mentioned that you've had all these experiences. So what is important? Let's just start from the beginning. What's important about sex? Good <laughs> <laughs> question. Um, you know, I think at least, so this is my philosophy, right? I think sex means different things to different people, but to me, it's a really life affirming thing and it can be such a wonderful way of experiencing pleasure. And especially for people with chronic illness, like we deserve all the pleasure we can get, you know, cause a lot of times it's about pain and, and sort of, um, you know, just the details of, of having an illness. So for me, it's sort of this life affirming thing um, that enables connection with other people and that enables us to really feel um, like in our bodies in a way that is our bodies rather than um, I am a patient, you know, we can feel um, like our bodies are our own if, if we are, um, you know, if we are lucky, I guess, because a lot of us have had trauma and, and experiences that make that really difficult. And that's actually one of the things that I talk with people about a lot, um, sort of reclaiming our bodies. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, sex is important for a lot of people, but I think especially for us, you know, we should be able to have, have joy and have pleasure. And that's just one of the ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the human experience. Right. And you touched on something right now about reclaiming your body. So it sounds like that's what's important about having a, a sex coach. Is that where you usually start is, is trying to uh, get in touch with the body reclaiming, as you mentioned? Yes and no. I think, um, so great question. I think that kind of gets to what is different about working with people with chronic illnesses specifically. Um, there's a lot of great sex advice out there. And um, I think that one of the things that people say a lot is that, oh, you just have to get out of your mind and get into your body. And that's when, you know, things really start clicking. That's kind of popular sex advice. And I've found over the years that that is not the, the greatest advice for people with chronic illnesses. Um, just because like we were talking about, we're all very used to being patients and we're used to, you know, keeping track of our symptoms and talking to our doctors and talking to our caregivers and, and all of those sort of pieces of living this life. And so having someone say, well, you just have to get out of your mind and into your body can be kind of like 
oh no, I'm in my body all the time. I know exactly what's going on. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so it's not, it's not the most helpful advice. And so for me, I think, um, a better way of reframing that for, for those of us with chronic illnesses can be, um, we need to get into our senses. We need to connect with each of our senses in a way that is not necessarily, um, going to trigger our, our attention to our symptoms, but like, you know, when you're kind of starting to get sexy, what are you feeling? Are you feeling, you know, your partner's skin? Are you feeling the really soft blankets? Are you feeling, you know, what are the things that you're liking and also paying attention to maybe the things that don't feel so good and that we might change next time. Um, and then connecting with each of them, you know, what are you tasting? What are you smelling? Those are ways of connecting with our body that, that aren't sort of synonymous with what we go through at the doctor's office. Um, so yeah, that's usually where we start kind of recalibrating. Mm, I like that. Um, really noticing things in, in your environment, noticing, um, like you said, sensory feeling mm-hmm. things that, like you said, we, we are highly aware of our bodies, but sensing things outside our bodies and sensing things that we normally don't pay attention to can help take us out of our everyday experience and into a more pleasurable arena or feeling. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Connecting with ourselves, um, as the person, right. Not as a patient, um, easier said than done. Like I'm the first to admit this is going to take practice. So, um, I know that sounds nice and I'm, I'm, I'm sure because I've heard this before, I'm sure there are people going, "Uh uh-huh. Like, you know, that's great. But, um, but yeah, it definitely takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like, well, we didn't, it took practice to figure out how to even get in touch with our bodies. Cause some people really don't notice the numbing pain that we've been in for years. And all of a sudden it's gotten to a point where we just can't take it anymore. Cause yeah. I mean, autoimmune disease or being chronic, chronically sick doesn't happen overnight. But all right. of a sudden, it, it, there's a point where you just can't take it anymore. And you're kind of like, well, how long have I really been experiencing this? So it's, it's, it seems like there's this numbness that happens until there's a breaking point. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, and this is sort of maybe specific to fibro, but I think I, I go through that like daily. Like there are times when I'm thinking like, yeah, I feel fine today. And then someone will say specifically like, oh, how are your shoulders doing? I know those are bothering you yesterday. And I'll go oh yeah, no, those hurt really bad. <laughs> but I was just like in sort of this mindset of like, no, today's great. And then once I sort of think specifically about each area, I'm, I, I realize, ah, maybe I am sort of numb to it. Um, maybe things aren't as great as I thought. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I completely, when you said that, I, I completely get it because I, I have fibro also and you think, oh yeah, today's a good day. And then somebody starts thinking about, oh, I can, I can do this or I do that. I'm like, Oh no, I, I guess I, I guess I do hurt. I guess yeah. I hurt every day. <laughs> or just the, I still get the like, gosh, why am I so tired today? I'm like really fatigued. And then it's like, oh yeah, because, because if I roam, like, yeah, <laughs> it's just sort of a normal day. Yeah. Um, so I know we touched on some of the things that are different between being a sex coach with healthy people. And what are some other things that are different in coaching somebody with a chronic illness? Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, everyone is very individual. So I, I kind of give that disclaimer that everybody's situation is different. Everybody's, you know, chronic illness and how we experience them are different. But I think one thing that I see that sort of fuels what, what I do is um, sometimes there can be this sense that like, because I have a chronic illness, I am like harder to love or, or I'm more complicated to love or, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so lucky that my partner, you know, stayed with me or, or those kinds of things. Um, and it's great to feel grateful. Like that, that is wonderful. Um, I am also grateful for my partner just because, you know, they bring a lot to my life, but you know, it's this sense of like, there's something wrong with me or that I'm, I'm less lovable because I'm sick. Not everybody feels that way, but I think that because of the way we sort of see chronic illness portrayed, um, it's either a, a sad thing, a very sad story, or it's this like, oh, the inspirational story, this person who you kind of become not human. You're like this hero. Um, and we're all somewhere in the middle, right? We have good days, we have bad days, but we're not any less lovable. We're not any less, you know, we're not worth any less because we're sick or because we're dealing with something. And I think that whenever I hear that kind of um, rhetoric and attitude from people, it's just a great reminder that as strong as we all are, we may have internalized some of these attitudes that like, if we saw them on paper, we would say, oh, no, I don't believe that. But they might be in there. And they might also be impacting the way that we show up during sex. So I know that's not necessarily specific to chronic illness, but it really comes out in in an interesting way for a lot of people. So that's that's something that we end up talking about um, a lot. And that's also a great example of how, you know, sex coaching may not really be about sex. <laughs> it might kind of be about um, something that that is happening in our lives or in our minds that's getting in the way of sex. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a heavy one to think about. I know. It, it is, but it is so real because you don't see yourself as, as worthy enough in that confidence. And that could be very detrimental because if you don't think you're worthy enough, you don't think you're sexy. If you don't think you're sexy, then why are you even having sex? So it's a domino effect, it seems like. And yeah. And, you know, it can impact body image too. I know that's something that people with chronic illness definitely struggle with. And lots of people struggle with that, but we can sort of encounter that in a different way. Um, You know, when your body is, is not uh, doing the things that you were used to, or, you know, you're having new symptoms that are unfamiliar, it can feel like we said, it's kind of, kind of traumatic and kind of different. And, um, that can really impact the way that we show up and the way that we feel comfortable during sex. So, yeah. Yeah. The different surgeries may have gone through the, um, like you said, we may have been a type of person before like workout or, you know, been more muscular and all of a sudden, you know, we can't do that anymore. So our bodies aren't the same. So it's, it's a, it's definite shift. And, and then also just knowing, well, I'm in, I'm in pain. How do I, how do I deal with this? How do I step out of myself? Like you said, or try noticing other things. Enabling ourselves to step out of it too. I think that that's something that can be, I mean, this is, this is really difficult for people to talk about, but um, you know, sometimes maybe feeling like if there is an imbalance 
quote unquote, in our relationship, you know, our, our partner's doing more in around the house or something, do we feel obligated to be having sex? And is that, I mean, again, it's uncomfortable, right? We don't, we don't think of ourselves in that way, but um, if that is happening, it's definitely something to talk about. And it's another great way, reason to talk to somebody, you know, a sex coach or a sex therapist, um, because sex isn't something that we should be feeling like we're giving, right? Or that we're, we bring to the relationship. It's just something that is sort of added and, and, and wonderful about, about a relationship or, you know, about being human. Um, so yeah, that can come up too for a lot of folks and, and that's a, a really painful place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So heavy, so heavy, but it's so real. I know. I know. I told you it was just going to be a sex podcast. And I know it's like all sad, but <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. there's lots of great stuff. There's lots of great stuff. coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was wondering, you know, how do you get in the mood? How do you get over that hump as a, a, a helping somebody with having those feelings? That's a great question. So it would definitely be a combination of things, you know, of, of like um, finding the things that make you feel sexy, finding, you know, has that changed over time? And and what um, does that look like for you now? What does that look like for your partner now? Um, but also, I think it's also important to talk about the fact that like sex is so context dependent. And so, um, you know, when we're dealing with a chronic illness, that's a huge stressor. And one of the things that kind of kills our libido is stress. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing like there's not necessarily something wrong in the relationship or, you know, wrong with us if we're feeling not really in the mood, um, we're not really doing something wrong. It just kind of, that's the way that chronic illness can be sometimes. Um, so it's a combination of the two, right? That, that there may be things that we can do activities that we can do that make us feel sexier or, um, you know, toys we can try out, things like that, but also allowing ourselves the grace of knowing, okay, I'm not doing something wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's not my partner's fault. That's a big one. Making sure we're, you know, talking with our partners about you're still sexy. I still think you're amazing. And also <laughs> I just don't really want it right now. Um, those are both important things to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like how you touched on having that communication with your partner and because, I mean, obviously it takes, it takes two. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe it just takes one if you're doing that, <laughs> but, um, it, there's also that, the, the, having the, that, that talk, where do you even start mm -hmm. without that person really feeling like, like you said, un unsexy or yeah. unworthy of your love. Or yeah. Well, to preface this, I would say this is a huge thing. A lot of people go through this and not just chronic illness, you know, communities are impacted by this. When, when people will bring this up, I often will say, it's kind of like having kids. Like a lot of times when people have kids, the sexiness kind of goes away. Like you're, you got a lot of other stuff going on and, um, it's more understandable. I think just because a lot of people, you know, do have kids and go through that experience. It's more understandable that like eventually the feelings come back, you know, and then the sexiness comes back. It might look a little different than before, but it'll come back. And that's the same way with chronic illnesses. 
And so talking with our partners about, um, you know, I do still love you. I do still think you're sexy. I, you know, want to be with you for uh, a reason. And I, you know, all the things that we have shared in the past and all the sex that we've had in the past doesn't go away. That's all real. And also at the same time, you know, I'm dealing with this big thing that's impacting me and impacting my libido. And to be fair, a lot of partners also can feel kind of nervous. You know, if we're dealing with something that gives us pain, they might also be a little nervous about, you know, increasing that pain or, or doing something that might make us feel uncomfortable. So it can kind of happen on both sides. Um, but I think having that conversation about our sexuality changes over time and, um, we will definitely get back to a place where we both feel sexy. That may not be right now. And I don't know how long that's going to be, but we'll keep talking about it and we'll stay in communication. And also, <laughs> I think that this is an amazing time um, in a relationship to talk about our definition of sex. And if if we've been doing one sort of activity, I'll just say penetration, right? If we've been saying um you know, the culmination of our, our sex together is, is the penetration and that's what real sex is. And, and we need to kind of take a step back and ask, um, sort of, why are we thinking that way? Do we want to keep thinking that way? Are there other things that we do together that are just as sexy and wonderful and that we can maybe focus on that cause less pain or, um, make one or both of us less nervous. <laughs> um, so taking it as an opportunity to get a little bit creative with um, our definition of sex and all of that, all that it entails. Um, that's another conversation that I have a lot, you know, kind of helping people define what is even sex? What does that even mean? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Cause that is a good way of, of talking about sex. It doesn't have to be one way and, you know, pleasure could be, practically anything if you want to get creative exactly now that we we talked about this and bringing up the subject of different ways of, of of sex how how do you view that or how what are what what are some creative ways that you can think of yeah uh, well i mean there's a lot right there's for for some people like when penetration is what we've been doing even just talking about like oral sex can be, whoa, that's like, that's crazy. That's crazy that we're <laughs> now doing this. Like, what is this even sex? Yes, totally. It's totally sex. But one of my favorite things <laughs> to talk about with people is when you get to a point in a relationship where sex is like, it's not that it's not exciting, but it's sort of, you know, we do it regularly. And so it's a little bit less like, um, Oh, will we do it this time, or will we do it when we see scheduled? And <laughs> yes, exactly. When that's gone, it's kind of fun to then say, you know what? Uh, we're not going to have sex for like a set period of time, and that's totally not like us. But we're just not going to have sex. We're still going to be sexy with each other and touch each other and like get to the point where we might really want to have sex, but we're not going to have sex. And sometimes that sort of uh, pushing it away. And denying it can be the sexiest thing of all. So that may not necessarily sound like sex, right? And that might sound also really frustrating. Um, 
<laughs> and it also doesn't have to be that you even make it to the the time that you said, you know, we're going to go a week without sex. Well, you might not make it there, but it's still exciting, right? It still kind of adds this level of, like you were saying, a little bit of taboo, like ooh, we're not supposed to be. Yeah, so Desire. and Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's what I mean. Like it's so, when we start to expand our definition of what sex even is, it can mean literally not having sex <laughs> and that's not something we would have expected right yeah so yeah. um I, gosh there's so much i would say um this is one of the, my favorite things to talk about with people because there's so many different ways to go and um everybody is different and wants different things and um that's part of why sex is so beautiful mm -hmm. yeah and, and a lot of people don't see it that way that it is it is a beautiful thing you know in in a relationship it can help people grow together and and you know you're, you're having this intimate shared experience I know we kind of you kind of talked about toys but what other tools can you share with the audience that can help people either they don't have a partner but by themselves or or with a partner any tools or hacks that they can help build up their confidence or just share in intimate setting? Yeah, great question. Um, so there are a couple that kind of come to mind. I would say, well, lube, like, first of all, if we don't have lube going on, definitely become a friend of lube because, um, especially when there's any kind of pain with, um, penetration or, um, you know, putting toys in or anything like that, it's, it's really helpful <laughs> to be able to just have the lube there. Um, but I would also say there are, um, there are toys called sex wedges that are basically just like pillows, but they're really firm pillows and they can really help with different positions. So um, if there are positions that you're struggling with because of, you know, joint pain or, um, you know, like if you have endometriosis and there are certain positions that are just like not, not really super accessible, trying it with um, a sex wedge can really make those feel a little bit less stressful on the body. So I would look into those. Um, I will also say there's a, there's a toy called, I think it's called the O-Nut and I can like link to it or send you a link, but it's, Thank you. it's a toy that helps, um, sort of control, uh, the depth of penetration. So, um, it goes on, you know, the thing that is going to be penetrating, um, whether that's a toy or a penis and it kind of, it, it sort of acts as a buffer. So mm. that can only go inside so far. Um, and that makes you sort of in charge of how, how far, in it goes and um you can stop and add another one it's really it's kind of cute honestly they look like kind of legos <laughs> but oh, really? also it can feel really pleasurable um for a partner with a penis as well so i would definitely give those a look um as far as toys or tools that can help us feel sexy i think because we're all so different i mean i would definitely if you haven't been to a sex shop before I would give that a try. I would look for ones that are um, sort of educational focused rather than <laughs> sometimes they can feel a little skeevy. Like when you go in, you might feel a little, a little weird. There are <laughs> sex shops that are really dedicated to education and helping people find, um, find pleasure and find what makes them feel good and feel sexy. So I would go there. If you don't have one near you, um, one of my favorite ones is called Shebop. It's in Portland. And they have an amazing website, um, some really great resources online too. So definitely give that a look. Um, I'll also send you a link for that. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know you, you mentioned lube. Mm-hmm. Um, is there certain lubes, especially with a chronic illness warriors that we should be careful of or stay away from or, or, or definitely only use? Oh, that's a great question. Again, I think, you know, if you have um, any kind of sensitivities to different things, just being aware of that when you're trying a new lube. Um, I think, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is something I can point to as like a, um, as a study or something, but in my experience and with, with the folks that I've worked with, there are certain lubes that just for whatever reason, don't really work with our bodies. And it's not like one brand is more likely to do this than another or anything like that. But um, it's sort of just a personal thing. So I would say maybe buying um, buying the little packs first. Sometimes they come in little like, um, like oh, I'm thinking like an envelope, a pouch, a little pouch first. Um, yeah. They're usually pretty cheap. And then you can kind of give it a shot, see if it works. Um, and you don't end up buying a big, a big bottle. Um, I think that's my best advice, honestly. Um, okay. We might not all, you know, like the same things, but I think there is one out there for each of us. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I also, um, heard of CBD. Do you ever use that, um, mm -hmm. as far as when you're getting ready and it, the pain is maybe too much, does any of that help with trying to relax the body mm -hmm. or any, any other oils or scents, I guess that can kind of keep the body more relaxed? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, with CBD, um, the research is still sort of coming out. So I, I am always a little hesitant to say, um, it will work. It doesn't always work for everybody, but, um, I have spoken with a lot of folks who have some good results with like CBD, um, you know, lotions and, um, oils and things like that. Maybe putting that on the area that is really hurting during, you know, before sex, also kind of taking into account if you're in a lot of pain, maybe sex is off the table, but you know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I would say giving those a try. I know there are like CBD infused massage oils. That might be a great place to start. There's also, um, CBD suppositories, which again, I've sort of heard mixed things about. So I would, I would definitely speak with, um, a gynecologist probably before that, um, just to, to make sure that that is something that is okay with you and your body. Um, but that can also help. As far as other scents, I would say, um, you know, other massage oils are also really nice. Um, and I'm a big fan of lavender. Lavender always calms me down. So I would definitely go there. I think any heat as well might be nice to incorporate. You know, if you've got like a heating pad, um, I think a lot of us are used to heating pads as like a tool, a tool of our chronic illness, but yeah. it can be also kind of sexy, right? Heat can feel really nice and feel really relaxing. So maybe having um, a little bit of a massage beforehand using the heating pad um, on your back or on your tummy or, or anything like that, just to get your whole body sort of getting in the, in the zone, getting relaxed. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those different tips and anything else you want to share with the audience as far as things that we haven't touched on that's important about getting in touch with your more sensual side. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I, 
I want to say what I hope is sort of common knowledge at this point, but um, we're all on our own journeys, right? So I think there can be a real temptation to rush, um, especially if sex has been associated with pain in the past. Sometimes in our heads, we just feel like we want to get through it. Or, you know, if we can kind of go fast, it'll just be over quickly. And if that is the mindset that we're in, it's okay to not to not have sex. It's okay to take a step back and sort of ask, where is this feeling coming from? And am I in a place emotionally and physically where this is a great, a great idea for me? Um, rushing can also kind of increase pain as well. So it's sort of this double-edged sword. Like we, we might be feeling like we want to get it over with and then end up having even more pain and, you know, and then we're, we're in a flare and, and that's really difficult. So I would say if you are in a place where you're wanting to kind of get through it, that's a great opportunity to listen to your body and to say, maybe not today. Um, mm. And it can be, if you're emotionally in a place to talk about it, that can be a great place to talk with your partner too, and to explore a little bit about why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is a wonderful point of rushing through because also if you rush through and you're just going through the motions having that association isn't good for your body either exactly so not yeah. only the pain but that 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 mindset because you start associating and then right. it takes longer like you said to to actually get in touch with how it's supposed to feel or how you used to feel right and we're teaching our bodies that you know sex is painful we're mm -hmm. teaching our bodies you know so so it's it's sort of it's a cycle, you know, we perpetuate. Um, so yeah, it, it can be really powerful to take that step back. Yeah. Yeah. How would somebody know if they're ready to work with you or how would you know they are ready to work with you? I think that um, after a new diagnosis is a great time to start. So I, I think we kind of talked about this at the beginning. There's always been after a new diagnosis. And so after that dusk, um, all of the new medications are figured out or any treatments um, or surgery or anything like that has happened and you're in a place where you have sex again, that's, we can start from the ground up and we can create sort of new habits and define what sex is going to look like with this new reality for you. Um, I would also say that a good time to reach out could be if you're, if you're finding yourself struggling to talk about sex and struggling to talk about how it maybe has changed or, or um, how you're relating to it now that you have this diagnosis, that's a great time. Because like I said, there are some sex questions that, you know, you really just like doctors aren't really there to answer. Um, if you don't have like a friend to talk to, you might turn to the internet and there's like some hit or miss stuff on the internet too. So it, it might be a great time to just take a little bit of a step back. We can connect and talk about, um, why you might be struggling, why you might be struggling to talk about sex with a partner or with a doctor and how we can game plan those conversations. We might even practice them together, you know, um, coming up with ideas of ways to feel less anxious when having those conversations. Um, I think that that is also a great time. It's sometimes just helpful to know that what you are saying and feeling is totally normal. And to hear that from somebody can be impactful. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for your help and with with chronic illness warriors because it like we've been talking about this whole conversation sex is healthy and it's human and it's good to share in a relationship with somebody and, ha and having that feeling of, of of confidence and pleasure is a good thing to share um how can people reach you now that we were talking about working with you <laughs> yeah yeah um i would say the easiest way just connect with me on instagram so my handle is um sex and chronic illness, but the E in sex is a three <laughs> to, I don't know, get around Instagram. I don't think that there's anything really, um, that they're too worried about, but just in case it's a three. Um, so yeah, just reach out to me on Instagram. Um, you can get my link to my website there and everything. And, um, if you want to just DM me or send me an email, uh, we can get started and we can, we can just start talking about what you're going through. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. My intention for this episode, like all my episodes, is to bring hope to chronic illness sufferers, especially the topics that are more taboo, like making whoopee. If you're needing more help in the bedroom, please reach out to Elle at Sex and Chronic Illness. Also, the links to the product and resources she talked about are in the show notes. Just as a reminder, there is a giveaway for the lube that we spoke about. So go to my Instagram and enter the giveaway and share the link with others. To support the podcast, leave a rating or review so others can find the podcast and share the episode with fellow autoimmune warriors so they too can have hope and be stronger than autoimmune. Thank you for your support. Until next time.